Hello and welcome back to Make and Tain, the podcast breaking the stigma. And if you're new to the Make and Tain podcast, make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any episodes every Monday morning. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Steve Walpole and it's great to get a chef on the podcast to kind of really hear about his experience and his upbringing and how that really kind of finding that passion has really helped him like find his career and it's great to get his insights into working into the House of Commons and some of the London's top restaurants. And yeah, super excited to share this episode. He also obviously suffers with allergies as well, so it's great to kind of hear his insights on that as well. And on the podcast as well, we kind of discuss how the passion for like teaching and training has been a massive part of Steve's life and kind of utilising his skills to kind of train others. So obviously at the Westminster Kingsway College, but also becoming a course coordinator as well for the Jamie Oliver 15 Foundation. And I think that has played a massive part in his life and teaching and helping kids along the way, which I thought it was great to hear. So yeah. And quickly, just before I jump into the episode, the podcast is sponsored by Good It's Gluten Free. And it's great to have them board the podcast. It's a completely free from brand, free from tree nuts, peanuts, gluten, milk, egg, and sesame. And they do these incredible meal kits and wraps. So I had the fajita hit kits the other day, and that was absolutely delicious. And they also do different cuisines like katsu curry. And they've just become available in Asda. So yeah, make sure to check them out. I'll leave a link in the description below. And like I say, in every podcast, grab yourself a cup of tea. Let's jump straight into it. See, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Would you like to do like a bit of an introduction to yourself? No problem. I mean, I'm Steve Walpole. I'm a chef consultant, so I design food for, you know, every aspect of the industry, but out and out chef, but trying to, uh, you know, work in all different sectors, but a big champion in the free from world, which is hence how we, uh, we, we got to know each other. Yeah, I actually come across you at the, the Algae Free From show, you know, on the lineup. And I was yes. like, who's this? Like, we never got a chance to like meet in person. And we had a quick phone call, I was like, <laughs> and I thought, yeah, it'd be great to kind of get you on. If we go back to like the very beginning of your journey before you kind of like became a chef, mm-hmm. you brought up in Essex. Yeah, so I'm a I'm an Essex boy. Um, I'm originally from Arminster. Um, so yeah, my parents are London parents and we moved, or they moved out to Essex and then I, I was there. So yeah, we, we grew up around... Um, that sort of greater London Essex. I say that because Essex is quite a big county, but people don't really realise you have that sort of, that London aspect to further out now, where I am because I'm now in Tiptree. But so yeah, originally from um, Essex and, uh, you know, it was uh, it was nice in the district line. So, you know, you always felt that you were still part of that London community because you're, you're still, still getting part of that. Kind of thing yeah, like, you're still yeah. on that tube line. So, yeah. you know, you were that one little bit step close than everybody else. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then like obviously your experience obviously being a chef now, was that very much from like your family? Are they massive cuts themselves? I would say that my family, uh, we're, we're food people, I would say. I, I think based on my age and my era, food was very different than it is now. Um, you know, my mum's a fabulous cook. Um, I would say that, you know, the one thing about my mum's generations, it was always quantity over quality sometimes, yeah. but, you know, always, you know, brought up around food and eating times and stuff. My nans were, you know, were all really good cooks. And one nan in particular was, uh, yeah, always, so she would so always claim like that. a speciality. My nan was yeah. always like dumplings. Uh, like, yeah, omelets, yeah. omelets were the yeah. one. So my nan was the first one to teach me about omelets and stuff. And, you know, again, I, I, I always talk about generations, but, you know, being 47, so, you know, my nan was of the, the war era. My dad was obviously, mum was a post-war era. So, you know, you sort of had that understanding of, of food and how to make things stretch and work and do. So you had a very different understanding about how food has sort of evolved and, kind of, you know, we would never understand what the Russians and the rest of it were, but I was always fascinated by, by those sort of things. So... I feel quite lucky that I was growing up with a very old-fashioned understanding of British food because don't we get also the food today is so multicultural. Yeah, like everything. I love the fact I can get a Korean or I can get a Japanese as well as, you know, pie and mash down the road as as we would normally get with, you know, those sort of things. So, you know, for me, I think it it was more about the, the love of food rather than the love of, the, the cultural side of stuff, I think it's probably the way to say it. But yeah, yeah, it was mine. And I remember making, you know, omelettes and scratching nonstick pans and getting told off for the, you know, from 12 onwards for scratching all the nonstick pans. I still pans. get told off now that, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. My mum, yeah. They, uh, I always laugh because my mum's you know, quite short. So my mum was a dinner lady at school because we were always terrible. So, but they called her Yoda because she was only little, but she yeah. had the force. But yeah. like, so you dare not upset my mum. But yeah, I mean, yeah, we've, we've always been a lot of, you know, 
around food and food's massively important and I feel really bringing the family together yeah well I mean did you used to sit around the table then when you were yeah well I mean you know there were times when you know when we're talking 80s and 90s so you know so some people that's probably a lifetime ago but it was a very different way of life but we always spent Sunday dinners were always you know together and those sort of things and I've now got two kids and my wife and we try very much to eat as a family eat together and do that because it's a social thing but and I feel that you know I do a lot around schools and trying to educate kids on food and it's amazing how many people don't do that so I think the reason I got into chefing and the reason I got into food was because of the power food can have over people yeah. bringing people together that, that yeah, that's yeah. how it is so do you remember what age you was when you was like I really want to kind of become a chef was you quite young then would you say no, no. i didn't want to be a chef oh, really? i wanted to race motorbikes but i wasn't yeah. allowed to do we'll that, that. <laughs> but um i so how do i put it about making this so i wasn't an academic kid and i think if you look back now and if i'd have been a kid now would i have been given some labels and other things that other kids probably would have had i probably would you know i i, I didn't enjoy the environment of, of academia in regards to stuff. My dad's a very, very clever, you know, man, very much into maths and science and chess and that sort of stuff, which I'm good at, but it wasn't my forte. So for me, I I tried to go into something practical, but also wasn't a mechanic. I wasn't a builder. I wasn't even like that. So food came about because I liked food. I applied to be, I think, my work experience at school. Here we go. This is how long ago I was, 15. I applied to go to be a teacher assistant and see what teaching was like. I applied to a special school because I always felt that like doing stuff with people was good and trying to help people. But then there was a little restaurant in Romford that had um, advertised for work experience kids to come and learn to be a chef. <laughs> so the teacher ones turned me down. Everyone turned me down except the restaurant. And I then went to this little restaurant in Romford called Taylor's. And I remember meeting Maria, who was the daughter of the owners, and I met Peter and uh, Tota, who were the owners. They were Greek Cypriot. They had come over in 74, and, uh, you know, so they left when it all went, you know, slightly you know, problematic in, in Yeah, Cyprus, my girlfriend's but, family are all from there, yeah. actually. Yeah. So, you know, but I, you know, it was quite funny because you didn't realise that, but they came to this restaurant and they said, look, come along. And I suddenly found that same understanding of food if you know what I mean yeah. like they had a real love for food but we were doing French classical food and, and it was a Greek family and like, it was a Greek family yeah, yeah. that's interesting and so yeah. the husband to Maria at the time was uh, Donald and he and he and this other guy Trevor were these classical trained French chefs but they were English and then he had the Greek family but then once a month they would do a Greek night and oh my god it was unbelievable it was, yeah. because I hadn't really seen it I knew you know the odd kebab or you knew you know, but you didn't realize all these other things so suddenly you were seeing all this wonderful strange food you'd never seen and you were doing you know like your steak diane's your steak or poivre and they were doing it all like you know proper you know this flamboyant way of, of serving stuff and then the greek night was something else and then eventually you went was it like the culture because i know my girlfriend's family are so close and like i think i don't know if greek families are generally i feel like the much more of a close unit I, I, Maybe. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, well, it was funny because you had you had the, the mum and dad, and then you had the daughters, and then the other daughter also worked. So, but I think we then, I, and I think hospitality has that anyway. You end up, you know, whether it's a hotel family or where, wherever you go, you end up being a unit. And still to this day, like I still find it weird that people still call me chef because I taught at Westminster for a number of years. So you still see people, and they, they, they. I think you sort of get that. But for those guys, it was like, do you know what, food you know, and how they were with their customers. It was very, very different. So I remember then being taken to Cyprus and spending time you know, in the house they had. And for the first time seeing oranges and lemons growing in the grove, which you'd never seen, and then seeing bay leaves and things, you're like, well, you get them dried in a jar. Yeah. So, so suddenly I became really aware of ingredients. But the one thing you learn about that experience for me being a 14, 15-year-old was that on the one hand, you had very complicated French cuisine but on the other hand you had really simple Greek food and it all tasted wonderful so like okay so they advised me then to go to college in Westminster 
they helped and they sponsored me. Is that like a prestigious kind of skill for cooking? Like that's where people at, go at to. The time, at the time, yeah. yeah. So, you know, one thing, again, going back to the family thing, it's like, right, you know, if you're going to do anything, try and right, do the best yeah. you can. So could I have gone to a local college? Yes. But I preferred to go on an hour and a half, yeah. you know, journey. So again, you know, remember taking my mum up on the train and, you know, going for this interview, yeah. you know, at, at 16, because at that Did time they push you, you as well? Did they want you to follow no, your passion? Uh, my mum was always one to just, you know, do, I think my family, are, it, well, they, they're quite competitive. They can upset for this one. But my dad, you know, my dad being a, you know, very successful in his side of things, you know, from, so therefore, you know, whether it was sport or anything else, you know, we were always driven to try and do stuff. But I think when you're going into an area that they're not sure about, I think it was about making sure you enjoy it. And it was probably the best decision ever going into food because I can safely say I get up every morning and I love my job. I love what I do because, you know, food, uh, could I do anything else? I probably could. But food has become something that, you know, my whole life evolved around. And so it's a little bit taxing sometimes for some people because they'd really love to have a conversation other yeah. than Arsenal Football Club, the football team I manage yeah. for my kids, or, or, or food. But unfortunately, you know, I live and breathe everything food. Yeah. And it all stemmed from, as I said, that little bit of that family influence, then meeting another family that had something else and bringing it Spreading it how like people can change yeah. your direction, and, and, even and, if it's you know, like 2%, but over the course of like 25 I, years. I, I think it was yeah. the fact that you... <laughs> I do I do understand when kids say I don't know what options to choose I don't know what I want to do and I didn't but I walked into that kitchen and I saw those guys doing that sort of stuff and you're like right and and so much so that it and it followed through so if we move further on the line so I went to college I then came out I worked in a few little places from the Bullet Stand in Common Garden to um, Lloyd's London and they ended up at the House of Commons and I ended up at the House of Commons purely and simply because, and I'll be very truthful, and again, this is quite a good one. I was given the application form for the House of Lords. Oh, wow. But me not knowing, <laughs> I turned up at the security gate yeah, and they sent me into the House of Commons because oh, okay. you have the Lords and you have the yeah, Commons, yeah, yeah. but it's the House of Parliament. And I remember sitting down and the woman introduced herself and she said she was Vicky. And I looked at the sheet and I think I was supposed to be meeting somebody <laughs> else. So I was like, okay, chef in, it's fine. So anyway, got the job, came out, wasn't yeah. a problem. And, uh, you know, it, it was fabulous. I thought, right, you know, I'm, I'm getting a job at the House of Commons. But then years, years later, you then realised that, yeah, I should have been. You got it wrong. I, I got it wrong. Yeah, yeah. But thank God they have two sides to the building. But I think... What kind know, of food was you making there? Oh, so then, well... Was it quite posh cuisine or was it just... Oh, was, the thing about the House of Commons, the thing that people don't understand is that as well as the MPs and the Lords and you have two different sites, I mean, it's a huge building yeah. and it's absolutely wonderful. And I think you you realise that so much happens in that little building. Well, it's a big building, but there's so much happens that go on, but there's so many different offices and areas and sessions. So you have everything from staff feeding right the way through to fine dining restaurants to then afternoon tea areas. But you also then have all the terrace and stuff where you can have functions and, you know, afternoon teas. It's, it's fabulous. But at the time, I turned up when it was going under chain. So I started under an old chef called Gabby and he was a lovely old man, but the food wasn't great. And then I'd been there for three months thinking, what have I done? Because it was... Have you made you know, a mistake? Yeah, oh, because yeah. I, I looked at Michelin stars and if you think back to the early 90s, it was hard. It wasn't like it is now. And it, it almost turned me off of cookery because suddenly I'd been in a world where people love food and people love cookery. But then you went into this really high pressure area where everything was... You see was, a lot of people break as well with the, the pressure and the one yeah, hours, yeah. And, and, it, and it almost... And I, and I do remember, and I remember my dad again, you know, you're going home feeling great that you just earned your first pay packet of £120 at the time, you know, and then you paid for 40 hours, but you'd done 90. So when he worked out the maths very quickly and told me how much I'd actually worked, you know, for that money. And you're looking at it and thinking, I got it, but you know what? Like, I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't getting that love for food. It was such high pressure and there was so much, you know, it, it, and I see why now, and forgive me going off topic a little bit, but if you're looking at how the industry has now gone with mental health and actually understanding 
when I look at what I went through and the reason I then went back to teach and the reason I now run my business and I do what I do is because you don't want people to go and ever have to experience what you went through in those early days of that level of cookery. Because I remember, you know, finishing at one or two o'clock in the morning, trying to get home from Covent Garden to Essex and knowing that you're back up and again in six hours time and there's no tube since I drive a motorbike, or did at the time. So I think how the industry's changed and how it's evolved and moved on was good, but it also showed the bad side that actually you have to be a certain type of person to really, you know, want to do that. But you have to have a love for food. Luckily, that love stayed. Yeah. And like I said, I went to have the Have you seen the film Boiling Point? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that, I mean, that... The way it's filmed and directed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that actually, he's, he's fabulous because yeah, yeah, he's had so many yeah. good roles, but he did a fabulous job. And I think, you know, I I don't want to harp on about it because, it, you know, people talk about it being the, you know, earning your stripes and your stars, and it's not the way we need to talk about the industry. But also for me, it was the grounding to realise that the industry needed to change and how we need to do it. And then going to the commons and then this was a completely different way of working. But then three months in, we changed head chefs. And they brought in this gentleman called David Doricott, who was a well-known head chef of a hotel. And he ignited that understanding of food. Some people liked him, some people didn't like him. He was Marmite. But for me, I got it. But then I was that kid. Did he have a big influence on that? Massively, massively. Because you realise, so he put me in for competitions. He saw something in me again the other people so all it takes sometimes is for someone to see that in you and i I got it at college yeah um i'm the same as you wasn't very academic quite creative it's what i do as a job now (laughs) but like i had a tutor who who really pushed me in and said like um and believed in me to to go ahead and 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 believe in myself and he really gave me that confidence so when i went for uni and stuff do you feel as well not being like you said I'm the same as you, not academic. Do you feel like you've always got to work twice as hard sometimes? Like, or I, I, not like, I think I have this thing like I've got to prove people wrong. I don't know why I, I get. This I don't thing. think I, I did. I, I think I spent quite a lot of my younger years, and even now to this day, I still dumb myself down. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I I play a little bit dumb, but I'm not. But I do that because that was always the default. I was always, you know, I'm not good at the writing and the stuff. And as I said, if you go back, there's probably borderline. They, they tested me for everything as a kid and I was always just enough that I wasn't, but it was obviously something. But, you know, I can do a hell of a lot, you know, with stuff, but I'm good with numbers and I'm good with stuff, hence why I'm good with recipes. And now they always laugh because I'm so OCD with recipes and formulas and things like that. But that's only because... I have to for the way I work. But because I have that creative side of me, you're right, the academic side of isn't isn't my forte. But it's not that I can't do it, it's just that it it's it doesn't inspire me like that side of stuff. But when you meet, you know, these guys and again, you know, there's a few more people on that that journey that sort of saw it. So for for David, for me, Chef, he he saw that and he brought that out. But you're up against a lot of people that were you know, you're a young kid, you've come in, they've had a very different way of cooking. You're suddenly this eager kid that wants to do everything. So we had three months off in the summer yeah. because it's the House of Commons and you'd have a, you know. So I wanted to go and work somewhere else. So I remember walking into his office and I think he was a bit taken aback because it's like, why are you asking to go and work somewhere else? So because I don't want to sit on my backside for three months. Yeah, so yeah. he sent me off and one of my most fabulous times was working at City Roads, for Gary Rhodes, that man, absolutely inspirational chef, but not necessarily him, but a guy called Adam Gray, who was actually the head chef at the time. And you see him and it was good. And then I went off and I worked for a chef called Peter Kronberg at the uh, Intercontinental in Hyde Park who had Le Souffle. And so you're coming back and you're seeing all this. And he said to me, what did you learn? What did you see? Yeah. What did you like? And I, honestly, you get to that point. And then I actually got to the point where I realised that I was understanding food, but I wasn't able to articulate myself enough to move up higher ranks. So I got... How do you move? What is the ranking? How do you go from... <laughs> do you know what? what is the ranking system? Well, yeah. I think the ranking system is, is flawed. And a lot of chefs will probably get upset with me for this one. But I, we had to earn our stars. So the only way you could ever move... So you start with a apprentice or a commie, and then you go first commie or second commie, first commie. Then you go to demi-chef de party, chef de party sous chef, senior secretary, sous chef, head chef, 
executive chef, whatever title you want to be given, chef de ranch, chef de cuisine. There, there's so many titles, but I think it's sort of gone now. But you used to move up the ranks by having experience stuff. So one thing that historical always thought was that you have to work around all the sections. So you start in the fish section, you start in the meat section, you know, you go around, you always wanted to be the sort of chef. I wanted to be a pastry chef, but I wasn't articulate enough to stick to pastry. I like to be a little bit, you know, but with pastry you have to be you know, straight down. So I think nowadays... I don't really listen to titles because, you know, you you hear about all these young chefs and there's some fabulous young chefs out there. There's some fabulous, you know, head chefs and all sorts. But I really struggle because some people you meet don't know how to do certain things because they haven't learned it. So, yeah, but he taught me to sort of go around the sections. Then you go to these hotels and I love the hotel environment because it's back to that family thing because, like, you're working ridiculous hours in some respects but it's okay because you're all doing it. Yeah. But there was yeah. so much going on. And I don't know if you've ever worked in a hotel, no. but it's absolutely fabulous. What goes on behind closed doors and that there between rooms. So, I mean, some of the stuff I've, I've seen and done from working in some of the hotels, fabulous. But you sort of have to be that sort of person and that sort of thing to, to realise that, you know what, like there is so much more to the hospitality industry. Yeah. But he taught me to do that. And then he, he sent me off working everywhere. But it got to the point where I... I needed another challenge and that challenge was teaching. So another guy that I'd met on the journey, Gary Hunter. Was you still a chef? When did you make the transition from chef to kind of consulting? Obviously, I know you do teaching now as well. I, I didn't really make the, the, the transition as such. I think what it was was a natural progression from... So again, chefs are a funny lot of people because you learn how to improve your skills and nowadays it's great i mean there's some fabulous things out there to to learn about food and chefs are now really open to share knowledge which they weren't necessarily looking to do you know 20 odd years ago yeah. cookery like we had this point where i i realized i needed something else but it was not because i needed to learn anymore it's because i needed how to be so with chefs what they're not get what they never get is any management or any yeah. how to so you move up but you have to be a certain type of person to be able to command other people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a bit like, you know, I, I do my job, I'm very good at my job, I and mean, people get promoted, but they don't sometimes follow through with the how to how to be that step up. So I was a very good chef and I was a you know individual. I worked with in teams, so I had to learn how to be a team. So this is the again said, I think the way being that, you know, at the time I was, I don't know how old I was, 23, he said, I'm going to put you for competitions and I did the Awards of Excellence, which fabulous thing because I'm now a member of the Royal Academy of Culinary Arts which is a huge accolade but I got that from the Awards of Excellence but he suggested I go and teach because if you are if you're able to teach a group of 16 year old to 60 year old people how to cook then you can come back into a kitchen and then teach so it was a way of management training before management training the trouble is i went he sent me off to birmingham and i went and had a look at birmingham i think i had a look at bournemouth but i ended up at westminster because that was where i felt comfortable and i ended up uh you know teaching so you suddenly walk in that and then that whole thing of imparting knowledge or understanding food and it's not necessarily the skills it's probably a bit of that you want them to learn as i said i was brought up in quite a harsh environment in some of the kitchens i'd worked in where you, you know, not you wanted those kids, but they didn't need to learn like that. You didn't need to earn your stars in that way. You want kids to not see people throwing pans and yeah. you know, that aggression. I used stuff. to work in the advertising agency, and they said when I went in, it was fine. But like maybe five, ten years ago, yeah, they would like but do I, all but sorts. It, but of it's, tricks, it's not. Yeah. I, and I talk like the chef industry was bad, but it wasn't just. You said it wasn't just the chef industry. I think it was almost a cultural yeah. thing within stuff. You know, and you hear it about the army and all, and all sorts of things. And you know. It's, it isn't right, but it was what it did. So for me, I went into teaching because I thought I want to give some of the kids some of the opportunity and things we got. Yeah. So I only went there doing part-time to try and help me in my and ended up going there and teaching. So I did that for, yeah, I remember, yeah, what, f seven years, I think. I taught at Westminster College. Did you love that experience then? Loved like it. Working. Teaching. Oh, yeah. And I think that's where I've probably now, the reason I started my own consultancy business because I like to... Like my passion for food, my passion for what I do and how I do it is, uh, you know, I like doing presentations. I like presenting food and I like it when people come to me with a brief or they come to me with, you know, a project. Yeah. Because if I really believe in the project, I can 
do a lot with it and I've had some fabulous ones but with teaching it's a similar thing it's like you want these people to understand the good and the bad of the industry but you want them to love food lately because chefing was always that one if you weren't this or you weren't that or the other do cooking yeah. and it shouldn't have been like that and I got lucky because it was something I you know I really loved oh, yeah. but yeah teaching was great and it's funny because as I said I still see people now that still call me chef I, you know, even a couple of you know people I just had recent meetings with because they're now not even in cookery but they still remember and the reason they've come back is they want to they're still in food but they're not cooking they're doing other things because of the lessons that you learn but I think cookery exploded and I think that's the bit that probably helped and again I'd say it was timing because if you look at that late the right 90s at the right time sometimes yeah, yeah. but I think I'm I always call myself last of the old school first of the new school in some respects because food and cookery changed a lot in that you know late 90s to early noughties to, to where it is now and so you have a very brought out you know you know the classics because I was taught the classics you knew that you know food was you know very very complex but if I'd have known what I knew now then oh man totally different because you know if you look at the power of a food blog or you look at the power of you know social media and how TikTok and all these other things have come in and how simple they've made food yeah. and I go back and it's like if I'd have worked that out with the Greek family, we'd have had something yeah. amazing because it, it, you know, it, it, it is so much, but it's so odd for me. It's like, I can talk about a lot of things, you know, football and all sorts of things to get excited, motorbikes to get excited, yeah. but you talk food and you get a different totally level, different, yeah, different yeah, yeah. level. So, I, you know, it, it, it's a very, very strange one. And uh, I think that's why, whether it's, you know, a type of cuisine or it's trying to help with an allergy or something else. Yeah. You uh, I really want to get into kind of allergies and when was your kind of first experience? Because I know we spoke a bit earlier about your allergies. I think, well, I, I, I've always had allergies, but not really food related. So as a child, I was the usual, which a lot of kids had around my time, which was the grass and the hay fever and that sort of stuff, asthmatic as a kid. But I didn't really understand allergies, especially not food allergies, because it wasn't really... And it's a weird one now because I really struggle with people talking about how things could be a fad or it's, you know, we never used to have it in our day. It's not you didn't have it. It's just that it wasn't diagnosed and it wasn't something that people understood. Like whether you're a celiac or, a, you know, there's all these sort of things. But my first experience of, of proper allergy food was the airlines because I'd gone into work for Gate Gourmet for British Airways and we had this horrible label of special meals and want for a better way of saying it, nobody really cared. They were sort of that bolt on and it wasn't the airline's fault and it wasn't the airline caterer's fault. It was just the fact that actually it was just because... Is this like going back? Oh, this is going back, back yeah, early. Yeah, well, yeah, let me, I don't yeah. even know when it, you know, let's say you know, early 2000s or so. So everyone knew about it and everyone knew what we had to do but really I don't think there was enough, how do I put it? There wasn't enough um, resource stuff put into finding out or realising how what it was. Because unfortunately it was also around the time when food fads and food diet fads came about. So there was a lot of people that were saying they were gluten-free or dairy-free or whatever because of a lifestyle choice, not that. So for unfortunately for people like you and to a degree me with, my oral allergy syndrome like you got classed as you know are you really you know they don't realise the impact but I also think people didn't realise but I think yeah. what they never understood for a long long while for me was that somebody who has a nut allergy it's an instant thing but if somebody like a celiac or you know it can be a long process and a very painful and worse one so suddenly I was looking thinking why am I producing menus for this route and for that route and for this class and that class but actually the special meals aren't being looked at why aren't we doing more for this you realize that the complexity of that was probably the reason because it was actually a really really big challenge to change everything for something that was only a one percent a two percent a five percent whatever it is but i could see the trend getting bigger suddenly then i met a few people on the journey like natalie newman and a few other people where you see that allergies are a way of life and i mean to the point where you know one mistake by someone like me 
could suddenly change everything. Yeah, any risk of yeah. any cross-contamination so arteries. I remember it, yeah. BA going to a blanket, no nuts policy on certain long-haul flights and the rest of it, and that was probably one of the biggest, boldest steps I'd seen because, you know, you understood that, you know, it, it, and again, I had to do a bit of research and that's where it came in because you suddenly realised there is two types. There is airborne and there is ingestation. So suddenly it's very different. But also you then realise that actually dairy is just as bad as nothing. So, so you know, and, and you get their point. It's like, well, well, we can't blanketly do everything. And then they brought in the 14 halogens and, and everything else. And, you know, but for me, I suddenly realised that I had to put food on and it was shocking. Like, you could take away nuts. Uh, that's not too difficult. You can swap nuts for sunflower seeds or whatever, that's fine. But suddenly taking away gluten, taking away dairy, and we're talking you know, 20 odd years ago, or 15 years ago, it was a nightmare. So how do I swap a bread roll that's a lovely bread roll for something that's like, you know, a beer mat? Tastes it's yeah. just a good... I just want to say it's a moment to talk to you about a brand called Good It's Gluten Free and it's just come available in Asda. It's a brand new brand. It's free from peanuts, tree nuts, milk, egg and sesame. And they do kind of meal kits and wraps. So they do like fajita kits or they do hoisin. They also do katsu curry, which they've never had before. So yeah, it's great to try like different cuisines. When you've got lots of different allergies, it can be really difficult. And a lot of like supermarket brands now have that kind of make and same warning, which is really difficult for my allergies. So yeah, it's great as I've got it's gluten free sponsoring the podcast. If you want to find out more about them, I'll leave a link in the description below. They're also available to buy it as as well. Let's jump straight back to the podcast. Yeah, so, it's hard. So yeah. I I sort of got into this bro. So what I was trying to then do, and this reason I got into development was because I was phoning companies, I was phoning people, and I was saying, right, I need a dessert or I need an you know a product, but it needs to be gluten-free. But I can't take you, you know, it's got to be a bit different. And I met a wonderful guy called Craig Barton, who runs now a company called All About Desserts, because he got it. We'd had the same classical background. He's a few years younger. He's a few years younger than me, a few years younger than me, I think. But he got it. So he was the first to help me produce, you know, really good desserts. And because you just realised that you and could make a dessert. And completely free from. Free from, yeah. And yeah, you could start to yeah. do it. So then what we tried to then do, and I think, you know, there's a few companies out there now trying to do it, is like you're trying to get everybody to make it as allergy safe as possible because it then... Because they had Mark on the podcast this week as well. Mark Ward? Yeah. Yeah. So you know what? Yeah. He, he was, we were talking about special meals yeah. as well. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and I tell you what, like, what I love about, you know, Mark is that he was one of the other ones because he, he worked for the other side of things. He was for the other company, I won't mention either, but, you know, but we get together because he is actually celiac. Yeah. So for me... Like, I've not got those allergies, but I understood the airline industry. So what he's doing with the Nice Free From Kitchen is fabulous. Yeah, and I think it's a really good thing. And I think that, you know, the good news is he's disruptive because he's doing what the other caterers can't do because they're not set up to do it. But I think that was the challenge. And now, even in what I'm doing now with a lot of other companies in regards to stuff, whether it's for retail or whatever else, is you're trying to take that away because it shouldn't be that you can't, in, you know, you can't be inclusive. You, you need to be inclusive yeah. with it. And I think that's where it's got to for me. So it's... I feel like it's just getting bigger and bigger now, isn't it? Kind of... The, well, I just, the, I just the, think the, that, yeah, you know, the, the more that, yeah. and more, it's like, you know, if you think, well, you'd be different like me, but if you think back to the amount of people that had told you that they just can't eat something, they can't tell you why. It's because, like, it's always been there, but now, thanks to the fact that we can diagnose properly, you can know. So really, we need to really just be a bit more understanding that you know, we've done a lot of bad things in regards of trying to produce food without thinking about the repercussions and now actually you open that up a bit further that's happened with packaging that's happening with manufacturing so i'm not saying it's it's wrong but i think we we cut a few corners or we did things for the you know the greater good of making money and making food more accessible but i do feel that we 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 made a mistake in regards of not thinking about making food better and cleaner. Now, now is the best time I've ever seen food. We're understanding labeling. We're understanding clean decks. We're understanding what we're putting into food. People themselves are making choices. It's my favorite thing is seeing yeah. calories on sandwiches, watching builders yeah. making a choice between an 800 <laughs> yeah. calorie BLT yeah. or a sushi box. Right. Yeah. And you get it, but you know, we're, we're, we're far more, 
we, we've moved on from it. So I think mm-hmm. that's the nice thing about it. So now suddenly allergies or, you know, those... I think products. Natasha's all, obviously when that come in, that was huge as yeah. well. Like definitely for food but, being but on it, site. I, but yeah. it should never have happened. Happened in the Dad, first like, place, yeah. Like for me, it's... You know, I know mistakes can happen. And don't get me wrong, you know, I think we've all made mis- mistakes over the, yeah. the years and stuff, but, like, it only takes something as simple as that. And I think the heartbreaking thing for that was that it was just so simple. So simple, yeah. could have been avoided. I mean, yeah. And you physically couldn't see it. It was, like, crushed into the bread as well. So oh, it's not even like, but, yeah. But it was even the fact that they did have, an, you know, and all sorts of stuff yeah. there, but just not enough to be able to do it. But I think... And again, I think the one thing that I got frustrated with and I spent a bit of time trying to do was actually within the education process of food, so going back to the teaching, you teach them about food, you teach them about hygiene, you teach them about health and safety. Why isn't allergies actually built in? And Natalie and myself and even Mark, I believe, have the same conversations where it should be part of the training yeah even now to the point where and it's what and to this day it's still not it's i i think it's now it's it's, it now is but i think it's very small but it but it needs to be the same as a as a health and hygiene certificate in my opinion because it it needs to be there but i think also like people i think it's the lack of awareness of you can't use the same fryer you can't use the, the same thing but also like i said there's people that can't eat it but there's also people that if it's in the air it it causes problems so i think you know i always go now and and you know him very well callum you know nancy's son you know his son because you know he's got 28 allergies so i always try and envisage that you want to make as much stuff safe that him as possible. i was going to talk about obviously with the they you know the free from food awards was you one of the judges as well yeah so free from awards is something i've done for a number of years i, I mean it's quite funny because michelle berrydale johnson i met years and years ago she came and did a talk to students at the college because she was sort of a well not a historian of food but she talks a lot about the history of food and how the nutrients in food had changed so you know a carrot from you know the you know, 1940s had 40% more you know nutrients than it does today just of how farming and stuff like that but I didn't realise that obviously she was an advocate of the free from so because I started to work within some of the allergy world as well as the food world i'd got to realize that you know the free from world was coming up in quite a big way so therefore i had to i felt that you know what it'd be really good because they needed people like me and others to really try and sort of help bring it forward and innovate and and like i said looking at free from food now to where it was to, yeah. to where it is is great I mean you know in some it's respects bigger and bigger each year. Yeah. I feel like more brands are oh, kind of but, but people market, but people right? really get it and as I said I think you know we've finally got out of that stage where it's it's felt that you know some people do it for a fad but actually there's a there's a stronger message underneath so yeah I I joined the, the free from food awards judging panel from a, a chef point of view and I've been doing it for a number of years I mean I, I do everything from the quality food awards to take part in the great taste awards I, I love judging food and stuff because you know you can give that opinion but I love how that's evolved and we used to love you know, going to Michelle's house and you know sit there and you know openly talk about it but yeah I think it's really good and actually so much so that I'm hosting a theatre at IFE uh, in next month and one of the sections is about the free from award winners so it's really great to see you know finding like a crumpet or a ice cream i've probably given away what what, what's one things but it's fabulous because people are now not making products just because they're free from they're making good products that happen to be free from and i think that's where the mindset's changed and i think for me that's the really clever part i mean finally eating a you know, hot cross bun or a crumpet or something. Even like croissant. I, yeah. I, I obviously had like a free from croissant. I yeah. Like, it's, and it's I think, insane, you know, and I've done a you know, fair bit of work with, with people here and in, in Europe and in the US in regards of, you know, the market changes and how to make these. I think the vegan plant-based movement has been very good for the free from market because I think it's, it's helped the dairy free side of stuff, which is also then helped, some of the other allergens I think yeah. there feels to be a knock on gluten free used to be the go to because it was probably the easiest to do in some respects okay 
but also I think now, you know, from the nut side of stuff and other things, but actually really, you know, when you look at things, it's very easy to cut them all out if you really try. Yeah. But it's very hard when you've been. Is it because of like the supplier side of things, and that I'm finding a supplier yeah. which is going yeah, to actually it's, like it's sign, to, sign the contract? I, I think if you're if true. you're going to really do it, you've got to yeah, you, you've got to make sure. I, I think the easiest way to do it is to not have those ingredients in the recipes or in the products or in the stuff anyway. So you can imagine for some companies, it's very hard. I, I do feel the challenge for restaurants, and that's why I've done a lot of stuff with training and things because, you know it's very easy when you're busy to suddenly make a mistake and drop the wrong thing into the wrong fire and everyone else. But, you know, if you've got the right procedures in place, it's, it's quite straightforward. But for me, I just wouldn't have it there in the first place. And if you look at, you know, case studies like Pizza Express and people like that have done a fabulous job of making all their flour, you know, gluten-free and across the board. So it can be managed within that. But I do think that, you know, nowadays, you know, do we really need to have some of those things in the products? You know, no, but that's why I now love designing food. I love being given a challenge yeah, to like yeah. come up with how do you make What's it? Your, what would you say is like you've been your biggest challenge then in regards to like obviously the... Your I think the biggest work. challenge uh, in regards of, you know, producing products is probably the gluten-free side of stuff because gluten works in a very different way and a, a strength and a structure to give things lift or to give things strength so to take that away it's very different i also you know seen a lot of really good work around taking eggs away and doing egg-free alternatives that's been amazing though if you look at companies like cracked you look at people like you know Oaks and stuff like you know the products they've got that can mimic and work in the same way is just fabulous and so for a chef like me you just want to play around so i love it now like you know i work with everybody from like the jackfruit company to you know plant-based you know alternatives and stuff i think the plant-based movement has had a bit of a problem because to try and mimic protein there are a lot of things like soy and gluten and stuff that you have to put back so although you're helping in some respects because of your work you're actually alienating the others so Luckily, again, there's a lot. So I think, you know, that, that's the fascinating thing. And I think, you know, the, the food world, as I said to you before, is like just totally changing. Like food now is just a completely different beast and ever evolving. But we're suddenly at that point where we are understanding a lot more of the, the underbelly of food. So like, you know, farming, you know, the ethics, the sustainability, things like that. But then you throw in the allergen side of stuff and you realise that people's health and lifestyles and things it's all changed I think finally we've got to the stage where you know moderation and being sensible about you know yeah. balancing how better. do brands you know when you get like a, a nut bar which doesn't have nuts and it might say I think no more do it like hazelnut how do they get the flavouring of like the taste of hazelnut without actually using nuts Is there's it- some really good companies out there now with flavourings and things and so it's it's quite it's quite a good thing in a, in a rod of a chemical balancing thing. I think you know I've I've worked with some lovely flavour people and and some really good companies like you know even just down to sort of smoke. So Bismoke are a wonderful company because you can get all these wonderful flavours of like smoke stuff in, but they can take it's such a process that's very clever. Like they could take all the carcinogens and all the other stuff out, so you can get that natural flavour in a you know something that looks and tastes smoky and barbecuey and meaty without being in meat but as i said technology's moved on quite a lot and i think you know now we're at such a stage where you know it's endless in some respects so for someone like me it's fabulous because i've got a proper playground i could probably be harry potter and come up with all sorts of stuff but i i just also i sorry i also feel that there are some parts of it that i'm really struggling with because i think it's been over engineered so and again, go back to the the, the plant base and how that's affected some of the, the marketplaces because you're now making things look, taste and feel like meat, which is great for people like me who are, uh, do I want to class myself as a flexitarian now that I'm going on camera? But, you know, we, we don't eat meat all the time. I try to balance up between, you know, yeah. but why do we have to produce and make things that look, taste and mimic meat? because you know, yeah. vegans and vegetarian wouldn't wouldn't want to wouldn't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. So I feel that in some ways I feel you're again it, it's a different thing. But from the allergy point of view, as far as it's like 
I don't know whether I'd want to make something taste like hazelnut if I couldn't have them because I think it's a yeah because I said I saw someone the other day I think it's today on my comments being like well I wouldn't eat the hazelnut because it would give me anxiety like having an allergy so so it's, it's not for everyone I no, think no. I would try it out like but, but yeah but I think the benefit of it is the fact that you can then experience experience it, it and open it. But yeah. then I don't know what nuts taste like, so I'll be tasting it. But like, yeah, but it's all right. But, but it's yeah. the same with the meat thing. And yeah. so for me, it's like some of the challenges I get from a point of view of, of asking me about to develop or make a range or do things. It's like yeah, okay, yeah. so you don't you, you sometimes have to look beyond that and think about you know how that is. But yeah, I mean, it's honestly I I can now. What does your day to day look like now? That what I mean, what what would you do in your com- like? Obviously, you consult with companies. Yeah, like I, I, well, the, the good news is it's not Groundhog Day, which I think is nice. So I think my day can vary because I can be, you know, working on you know a, a new branded you know product where we're trying to make a I don't know like a you know a meat alternative you know snack to then consulting on a at a restaurant you know, kitchen or a design to then doing training. So for instance, this week alone, you know, I've had uh, three days at a teaching school in Essex where I've been taking groups of school kids to try and teach them some life skills. So part of Anglia Ruskin University, they're doing a thing where they're teaching kids about shopping. So make a recipe, but what food do you have to buy? Then they buy the food also, they make the recipe and they put the stuff down. But when they go to buy the food, some of the ingredients are different. So like we would get, you know, yeah. you go to shop, you know, you want to make a you know, burrito for whatever you want to make today. And you go in there, okay, they've got wholemeal wraps, not white wraps. They've yeah. got, you know, green peppers, not red peppers. Because it was trying to get the kids that sometimes things would work. But then the price is different. So they got them to recost it. But then you got them to produce this recipe. So I was helping them. So, but what, what I tried to do with them was like right and we had a few disasters not in a bad way but just because you know imagine they are 13 14 15 and so therefore they're cooking and then suddenly like not knowing how to follow a recipe not how to do stuff so you know you've got that aspect because it's not you know it's not that i'm trying to teach i'm trying to teach them a life skill because cookery isn't just something you do for a job it's something you know that we all have to do so you know the days of university cookery of, you know, boiling super noodles in a kettle or whatever, you know what I mean? But yeah. still cooking. So, you know, you got that. But then the next I can be off to Holland and we could be designing a whole range of yeah. meals for an airline or, you know, you can get a call and say, right, you know, we've got a problem with a retail range for, you know, so, so it's very different. And so I love the fact that, you know, I could be on the phone trying to, you know, work out how to make desserts work for a, Casual dining range. Imagine it's a weird, weird mouth now, isn't it? Like, obviously you've been in the industry a long time kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I do feel a lot of people know me. But I think the reason I'm, if you like, known is because I've jumped from sector to sector to sector. So I've done the kitchens and the hotels and the, you know, the, the restaurant side of stuff. I've done airlines. I've done development. I've worked within, you know, the supermarkets, but I've also done stuff for some other big brands as well. I've worked in QSR, like the quick service restaurant. So I've done a bit of work around delivery and stuff. So I'm happy. Food is food. And I think that's what it comes down to. Like, could I do some of the molecular stuff on the level that, you know, some of the chefs I know could do? I could, but it's not, you know, I try and bring food in a different aspect. So yeah, I think, you know, I love to train. I love to teach. I love to, you know. Did you so? Do food, I know, I, we never got into it deeper, but you did. You were the, the is it the Jamie Older? Is it the foundation? Is it the so first? basically? Yeah. Well, basically, Jamie had the fifteen uh, foundation, and he would take uh, fifteen, you know, young kids. Um, but there was always uh, a parallel group, which were the the like the backup ones, because you could imagine in a scheme like that, which I felt was a, a fabulous thing, and, and more so now after I've done a lot more work around, you know, inner city areas. You know, I, I do a lot around schools. I do a lot now with Springboard. I do a lot with said the Royal Academy of Culinary Arts. We do the Adopter School. So you realise that you know, food food can be quite a, a, an expressive way for people as well. But with the fifteen lot, so part of Westminster College because Jamie was a Westminster student. We we trained at the same time. So you know, I then went across and part of a school in Hackney because I was living that way anyway. We 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 taught them the secondary group because although the first group were the main group 
there was also this other lot of students. So for me, it was fabulous because you suddenly realise that you've got so many kids out there that didn't know what to do and food and uh, restaurants gave them something probably, like I said, it's that family thing again. It's all going to come back to the same things every time. But I've known two of the guys that I taught went on to one, went to work at... um, Heston and a few others know they've really you know they've gone on to do great things but yeah I mean but again you know for me it doesn't matter who it is whether it's you know I did junior chefs academies for 12 year olds right the way up to I think the oldest guy I ever taught was an American guy who was about 64 and he just wanted to come and do cookery because he was an American guy he was, he was fabulous but I think educating people about food and and getting food you know on the map I hate the fact that schools have taken it away in regards of being something that that people should learn because I feel that you know not because it's a career but actually and I do a lot of talks about it it's like if you understand that you know food is what a necessity because you need to be able to learn and be able to cook but actually you can go into journalism one of the the best guys I've went to college with is a guy called Barney Desmasery right he was a chef like me he's now editor of Good Food magazine. You know, he went into journalism, but he's taken that food and he's gone on. And if there's anybody you ever want to sit down and talk food about, it's, it's Barney. So food can suddenly go off. And like I said, now with social media and the way it's come in, like it opens up all sorts of stuff. So, so many people doors like you. now, innit? Yeah, but, people, but for yeah, you yeah. as well, like like you're talking about, you know, allergies and, and sending that message out, but you're also taking people on that food journey and getting people like me to realise the, you know, the importance, but also how much, how do I put it, trust is probably the biggest word. Yeah. I think there's nothing better than trusting that people are understanding it and yeah. doing it and, and food needs to be something that you feel like, you know, you, you want to be able to feel that you can go anywhere and do anything with and whether whatever restaurant it is, but yeah, I, I do say it's uh, yeah, education is a is a huge thing. Huge. Yeah, it must be like so fulfilling as well, like being able to like <laughs> see where they go from. Yeah, well, teaching. even teaching, like I, I teach yeah. all sorts of classes, and uh, it, it is great. I mean, I you know, do anything from pies to pastries to gastro yeah. you know, at this Braxton Park Cookery School, but it's so nice because you know people look at you and they think like you're nuts. Like, how would you get that excited over that? Like, you you know you learn so much, but it's because uh, you know i've had some really good people on the journey to yeah. to teach me about that but but going back to the allergy i think that's what's been quite nice so i yeah you've seen me so i do the shows at like the free from show and i do these demos i do a lot for speciality show and i like, do these other theaters because y- you want to get people's enjoy it but the great thing about the free from community is that it doesn't have to be medical it doesn't have to feel like it's a prescription. You know, I want, you know, I mean, one of my most memorable things. a lot things. of them talk about, like, a lot of these podcasts, like, before, the reason I set up this up, there wasn't any podcasts that I resonated with. There's all very <laughs> clinical medical. Yeah. And they go straight into the medical and history. It's, but it's, and I'm like, yeah. well, like, yeah, great. I, I, I want to understand about allergies, but I also just want to know the person behind the mic. You know what I mean? I want yeah. to know why they, but I, they do it. I just it, felt yeah. that, and, and so, you know, no disrespect to some of the, you know, there's, there's some fabulous people I've seen, but the one reason, like, myself and Natalie ended up being quite a good double act was because, you know, I would come along and I would be, you know, a little bit off-piste. But, you know, it was great seeing people. I'm doing a gluten-free banana churros with an avocado ice cream and something else because it was every allergy free yeah. do you know what I mean and so like and getting these people and these people coming up saying oh my god like I didn't realise you know where can I buy it well, unfortunately you can't buy it but you suddenly realise that that joy of them being able to you know have a pizza or a pasta or something like and I never understood that as I said until I suddenly got some of these additional allergies and it kills me. I can't eat. You see, is it tomatoes now? You, you no, it's not tomatoes. It's, it's a stone fruit tree nuts. So yeah. apples are a big no-no, which kills me because you know I, I love apples. Peaches are my favourite fruit, and I can't. Yeah, nectarines obviously. How old did you when that happened? Like forty. <laughs> so you got forty just like one day. You just like. Well, I, I've always noticed that when I'd eaten certain things, I would get reactions yeah. on my lips. You said and stuff. that, Natalie. No, say once. Yeah, yeah. so, so going back to the free from awards, and this was again. So again, my naivety of of again understanding me and just fobbing it off that I was just me being you know something wrong. Like everything was different because I could eat an apple from, and here we go. So you eat an apple that you'd buy, 
because you never thought about what country or where it came from. Yeah. And again, I remember going on holiday and I could eat things on holiday that I couldn't eat here. So everybody said like, and also when I went abroad, if I went to Spain or I went to a Greek island or I went to somewhere else, I wouldn't get the same as I get here in the summer. So there had to be something in it. So it was just climate and the rest of it. But with food, it was like, so I started to realise that apples and a few things set me off. And, uh, you know, and you'd get that tingling or you'd get your bubbled lips or you do something. Yeah, okay. Just, it's just Take something. Yeah. Kind of but thing. there are certain things like chilli, I don't really like, but too much of it, and it can swell my lips up and all sorts of stuff. So I try and avoid that as well. But I remember sitting judging, and we were tasting breakfast cereals and other things. And I was sitting with Natalie, and uh, yeah, she just looks at me and she said, "Are you all right?" I was like, "Yeah." She said, "You're not." So I know she said, "Your breathing's gone funny." She said, "You're not acting the same." And she said, "What have you eaten?" So oh, I don't know, it was... Uh, so she read the packet and she said, are you allergic to nuts? I said, no, I'm not allergic to nuts, <laughs> Natalie. I'm really not. Yeah. She went, okay, just don't yeah. eat anything like that. Yeah. So anyway, a few months later, I was out and I did a project somewhere and I stopped at the airport and it was like, it was early morning, I was getting a flight back. I'm sure it was Sweden, somewhere like that. And there was no stuff to eat. It was an airport, it was early morning because I was you know, traveling quite a lot. And uh, I remember picking up this, granola pot and a yogurt because uh, I was trying to be a bit healthy and you know because you, know, you have to try and do these things when you're traveling because you can't keep grabbing Greg's sausage rolls so I picked up this mix and I suddenly heard my breathing and I could feel something going so I thought what do I do I thought I can't phone my wife because I panic her because from travelling before I got really ill in India when I spent, you know, on and off nine months in India eating, you know, so I thought, can't panic her. I'll phone somebody who knows. So I phoned Natalie and she went, you've had nuts. And she read the label and she said, I think you need to get tested. So I came back and bearing in mind, like I said, I'm in my 40s, which was about seven years ago now. So I was, <laughs> I then came back and I phoned the doctor and I said, can I be tested for allergies? So when were you last tested for allergies? I, said, I don't know. I was like <laughs> nine or yeah, 10. Yeah. So I had, I think we spoke about like the tests were like my arm. Yeah. Like the the skin thing, print test, yeah, yeah. So the only thing that came back was uh, dairy and eggs were the two things that I wasn't allergic to. So it's like, fine. So everything else is fine. So didn't have a problem. But also I knew I could eat cashew nuts for some reason and peanuts. I knew I was fine because it's something. I'd, so anyway, came back, Natalie's advice. I took the test. And when it come back, I, I literally, I, I was working for a company called Ugo Foods. The test as well, yeah. Yeah. So then it came back and I literally had this panicked nurse on the phone going, right, don't eat anything or do anything. Please come to the surgery. You need to pick up these EpiPens. And I was like, what? And and at that point, I suddenly, and not that, that, that sort of, you know, epiphany moment, but you suddenly then got, because you have that fear, like, oh my God. What, what, you know, and then you get these every bit. And my daughter, bless her, my daughter Jess, all she wanted to do was be able to stab me in the leg with it. It was just like, she was like, like forever. It's like, please don't no, do it, no, no, yeah. please don't do it. Daddy. But it's like, but suddenly you then that anxiety, that fear, that understanding. And so suddenly I had that complete understanding of the, the area and the world that I was then trying to help because you were suddenly part of that. And it took about 18 months before they realised that I didn't have it to the degree that I needed that. But that fear and then checking every label, oh, yeah, checking every Just like the anxiety sometimes. Yeah. Mine comes in waves, to no, be honest. And, like, it, yeah, and, and for me, it was a real shock because I never had to do it. Yeah. The worst thing for me then was at the time I was working for one client and we had a peach and almond tart, which I couldn't do. We had cherries, something. So suddenly there was all these things that I was avoiding because I didn't do it. The good news is now I've learned that it's actually in the raw form. So done a bit of digging in regards to, to what level. So I can eat tinned peaches, but I can't eat raw. I can cook them and remove the skin. and that's, So you find ways around it, but I still, if I can help it, I avoid it. But what it did was it brought me into that almost 
I understand. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because you'd never got it. Like I, I wouldn't know what it's like yeah. for you to be I've on always said like, yeah, like empathy and like trying to teach that when someone doesn't have an allergy no. or they don't have a friend or family member with an allergy, it can be really hard. Like, and so yeah. suddenly to have had that, you then realise, so then when you go into a comedy sound like you really need to be doing this and they're like, really? I said, no, no, because imagine this. And even with the school kids, so we were doing, uh, one of them had a cheesecake and they wanted to put these armors on the top. And the woman was trying to explain to this kid that you've got to make sure that you don't, you know, you have a label. And we clearly, you know, made them do allergy charts and they did as well. But he didn't realise that he's even got to clean the packet and wipe it down because anything it's Just touched or anything. Touches, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not to that level like you, but, yeah. but they couldn't get their head around the fact that one, you know, micro, you know, and even really, gluten. I yeah, mean, Mark, yeah. you know, people like Mark would tell you like. They're really so little, like, Yeah, like, it's interesting like yeah. the kid's point of view as well. Like, but, yeah. you know, and, and for my kids now, it, it's, it's funny because they know what triggers my asthma. They know what now triggers my, my food allergies. And so, you know, for them, it's good because then they go to school. And that, and one of the things I found when I did stuff with the Craft Guild of Chefs when I did some school meals incentives was how you can't police kids' pack lunches. So you tell them there is a nut policy and there is anything else, but yet when you do a lunchbox inspection just to see what they're doing and they've got a Nutella sandwich or they've got something else, like I know to that parent they didn't really think about it and the kid doesn't really think about it, but they don't realise that that could really impact massively. So I think the education's come a long way, but I think you're right. For me, it stepped up a notch when you're suddenly, you enter that world of uh, because you never realise what anxiety is yeah. until you're in that situation, and then I go back to I use the pen like yeah, like not too long ago. I thought that could I thought that essentially was a panic attack, and yeah. I just freaked out. But that's and, what I said. Yeah. You, my my symptoms can be absolutely in you know like the tight throat because and, yeah. you you if your body starts to you know I mean yeah. it, it's funny because again I remember that I was on a flight back from Mexico and I'd had a really strong coffee in Mexico. And it gave me such, I ended up hyperventilating, but I thought I was having a heart attack because it put the pins and needles down your arm and everything yeah, else. Yeah. And they were getting really nervous until this CSD oh, what, what made you freak out about the coffee? The it wasn't the coffee. No, no, no. It oh, wasn't no. even that. It was just the fact that I'd had this coffee. I think I'd been away in Mexico. We had a really busy time doing this um, this project. It, it went well, but it was stressful. I'd had this coffee. I'd got back, And I think my body was starting to relax. But I think where I was, and the coffee had, had made my heart go up, but I think my breathing went, so I was hyperventilating. And I think I was nervous and I was panicking and I wanted to get home. So suddenly you're getting the pins and needles and you feel like, you know, so it was only because of that experience that when I then had the nut allergy and, I, and, and something affected me, how my body was reacting was actually more the anxiety than the reaction. Does that make sense? Yeah. But those two together, and this is what I'm saying to people is, it's not always... The reaction, the reaction could be managed, but if you start panicking, because that's what happened, when people start panicking around you and people start to not know what to do, and that's why I said the biggest thing you can ever do for anybody in any situation when it's an allergy or it's anything else is stay calm, keep them calm, and you'd be okay. Yeah, the last thing you want is someone's yeah. getting like... But when they're freaking, like, it makes you yeah. freak. And that's what I'm saying. So things can be really high. And for me, that's a that's a big... I big avoid thing. coffee now. Like, I, I, <laughs> I can't avoid coffee. I drink so much. the other day, like... I, I drink coffee in the flat and like, I do drink coffee, but um, but yeah, she, she was like, we're meeting Pret and we had a coffee and she was like, oh, do you want one? And I was like, no, because like, I thought last thing I want is me thinking about my anxiety and we're having a conversation because yeah. it just gets me so worked up now. You know, like, I see, I, I mean, even if they don't have like, the almond milk. I mean, I drink far too much coffee, really, but it's my only vice in that respect. But, you know, I think I've been drinking it for so long as it was the chef's diet of, of coffee, but, you know, I, I, and my wife always laughs because she said you can drink coffee and still go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> but like other people, I like, do that. but it's to the point where you know you even go and check. But caffeine, you know, it's a bad thing, but it can also be you know, quite a, you know, it works another way. So I always laugh when these these guys say, right, well, let's do a training. Game. Make sure you have a coffee before you're going to go training. I said, I don't think that's going to make any difference for the volume. Budget. But I, but again, I think it was starting to understand how mood and mindset and these things can affect everything. And that's why food is so good because it, it can have a huge effect. But going back to it, the, the whole point was that there's nothing worse than people worrying about whether you are actually, is the food safe? You can trust people all you like, 
but you're going to know that you've had one bad experience mm. and you can then it for will, me yeah it's just going with that gut feeling I've yeah. always like drilled that into people as well like um, if anyone wants to kind of follow you on your kind of Instagram or get in touch with yourself well I'm going to be really hands. honest I'm yeah. terrible on social media I, yeah. I am everywhere I've, I've got a Twitter account I've got a uh, Instagram account I've got a business one as well I'm on LinkedIn um I'm of that age group where social media can be quite, uh, you know, an issue. so yeah. I'm either yeah, really, yeah. really good or really not. We're trying to work on yeah. that because. So I'll be seeing you using your daughter's ring light anytime soon. Like. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> if I need anything done technically, I ask the kids, the kids can work on iPhone and stuff, but yeah, you, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Steve underscore Walpole, I think on things like that, yeah. but the business is Steve Walpole limited. So if you did want to get in touch, you can find me on, but you know, LinkedIn's probably the best thing for, for sort of business side of stuff. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I need, you know, we, we're there to help people. We want to make it there. And I think the more that people wake up, as you said, there's some really good people in the industry, like more, more than people that really trying to, you know, not just do what they're doing, but make it for the greater good. And I think, you know, for me, I love the free from awards. I think it's really showcasing stuff. But I think if you're looking at then how the world's going in regards to things, you know, we've got to be more mindful of it. We've got to be more inclusive because, you know, it'd be great to think that you could finally fly, travel and do anything without any worry on, on, you know, any level, but we're not quite there yet, but yeah, we will get there. We'll get there one day. Anyway, it's been amazing to have in the podcast. So no, thank you. It's, it's been, been good fun. Yeah. So no, thanks again. Um, yeah. And uh, anyone wants to leave me a review or make sure you subscribe to me. So uh, make and say podcast. Appreciate that. Cheers. Cheers.